0: And good afternoon. It's 4 o'clock. And thanks for tuning in to CFRC 101.9 FM, located here in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queens University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock, and we do stream live online as well at www.cfrc.ca. Coming up on the show today in the first hour from the October 28th inaugural launch of the John B. Lee Signature Series Imprint with Hidden Brook Press, held at the supermarket, restaurant, and bar in Toronto, you'll hear readings by John B. Lee, Don Gutteridge, John D. Leonardo, and April Ballmer. In the second hour, coming back to Kingston, and October ninth, book launch and reading at Novel Idea Bookstore. You'll hear readings by Jason Haru, Neil Sirkan, and Abinah Beloved Green. This first, though, the usual hourly announcement. Occasionally, some poetry spoken word or music played on the show may contain strong language. Uh, all is played with its content unedited to honor the integ- uh, creative integrity of both the author and the piece. I won't have time, I'm quite sure, at the end of this hour to share a few upcoming events, but should have a bit of time in the second hour. We'll see how that works. And trying over the course of the next few weeks now, before the holidays, to work in nearly, I believe it's something like 15 book launch reading events. So here today in this hour, uh, from a launch recorded in Toronto on October 28th as a new new imprint, uh, uh, the John B. Lee Signature Series. And that's with Hidden Press had its debut launch. So up first in it, as introduced by the press's publisher, uh, R- Richard Ty Grove. Here is John B. Lee.
1: I think that we're going to finally get started with the official reason that we're here for the launch of the John B. Lee Signature Series. John has, um, over the decades, become uh, a dear friend. We have uh, traveled to Cuba umpteen times. I won't even try more and that. more than that. Um, I think two times more than umped. And um, we have um, had the privilege of staying in uh, Port Dover at John's house um, that um, trickles down to the lake. Um, I have um, had the privilege of, I think, publishing three or four of your books. So, John, come on up.
2: Uh, I'm going to read uh, five poems, and then it will be my privilege to introduce you to the reason why I'm here today. Uh, This, I like to always come at a poem from the side. Emily Dickinson said, tell it slant. I was surfing the web for some reason, and I came across a beautiful image of a butterfly called a dead leaf butterfly. Um, And although they're not in Canada at all, they're actually indigenous to India and parts of Asia, Uh, I wanted so badly to write a poem about this beautiful butterfly that when it's closed looks exactly like a dead leaf from the Indian oak tree and when the uh, wings are open it reveals itself to be the most beautiful image of uh, the sky Um, and as I got to thinking about this I remembered that when I was a child I saw a lot of praying mantises uh, and I haven't seen so many since then. And then the first line, which became the title, occurred to me and I wrote this poem on uh, Friday. I always like to start off with a poem that's new. O praying mantis, do not pray for me. When I was but a child, I'd see you in your green devotion on the farm, crawling up a stick in blue ascent. I'd watch your monkish posture transfixed upon the lithe divinity of summer days. Within the sacred branches of a living elm, you thinned the edges of the dropping shade like water cooling on the shadow-darkened lawn. But with a closer look, I'd glimpse the exoskeleton with hunger in its form, betraying the ravenous purf- purpose of your serrated jaw that sawed away the softly amber honey box, the sessile ambush of your kind, designed to make a ravenous crunch that stilled the hapless drone. Come, Friarbug. bug. What's insect hagiography among the katydids? The angel with his burning appetite for flaming swords brings fire to these aging bones. And though today the evolutionary beauty of the dead leaf butterfly trace open heaven to the infinite glory of a single hand, I trust my soul is both the dying oak of autumn and the glowing surface of an opening wing. Uh, I'm going to read you one paragraph from the opening introductory essay of my book, Uh, This is How We See the World. Uh, I was talking with my mother, who suffered from Alzheimer near the end of her life, And she said to me, why do you use the word I so often? And then I pointed out to her that within the next three sentences, she used the word I three times. Um, But this is a quintessentially Canadian confession. It's in a paragraph. I was born and raised on a farm in the heart of who do you think you are, southwestern Ontario? When I studied French, the first phrase I mastered was Je suis désolé. When I studied Spanish, lo siento, and like every truly Canadian child in my region, I was trained in the art of apology. In my case, by a loving mother who encouraged me to hide my light under a bushel, inquiring of me, why do you use the word I so often? As though my ego weren't always in need of a good dressing down. Mother mine... Je suis désolé, lo siento, I'm sorry, I can't help myself, I was born to shine. <laughs> this poem is dedicated to my son, Sean, who is here today with me, he accompanies me often on poetry readings, um, and uh, he likes to, he's, he's willing to drive me, and I hate driving in Toronto if I don't have to. Uh, I love when I go to places in the world to get uh, stones. They don't have to from the from the region that, they, that that I'm in. They don't have to be interesting. They just have to be in my mind from that place, and that makes them precious to me. So when he was in Thailand, he fell out of the boat into the Mekong River uh, in a shallow spot. Fell that went down to the bottom and dredged up a muddy stone from the bed of the Mekong River in Thailand, and this is called going back to the world, which is a phrase that American Vietnam vets used to use to describe going back to America. My second son finds himself floating in the muddy mirror of the Mekong, riding the big blue lung of a foreign sky in the remote regions of Thailand, old Siam having her say in the sultry voice of hot river stillness, when someone upsets the boat and he spills, laughing into the coffee-brown shallows that gulp around his body like the pull on the line of a smooth-bellied catfish thrashing on a soft hook of bent light. And he uses that occasion to dive down, to plunge his hand into the clam grip of the muddy bed, retrieving one wet stone for his father who wants only this thing. However unglamorous, however ugly, he wants a river rock or scree from a ruined hill, something a hen might swallow to grind poor grain. A dull enough thing not to be missed by the mountain, nor mourned by the delta, nor grieved by the field. A dull enough thing like at home on the lake, the glacial child of a big grinder, melting backwards from the 10,000-year-old dawn of an ancient and even more primordial day than this. The fanned-out energy of a big Crush embossed on its facets and bent at its curves. Let diamond and gold and silver moil themselves in the worm heart of history. Kings in their coffers and other velvet-robed panjandrums of the temple, the glint in the eye of the greedy council, his father wants only this privately precious dross. Something marked by the the local light and called for the lack of beauty but for for this. It was there. In the footstep darkness of an all-ancestoring night when empires rose and fell to the silk breath of a dying counterpane with maidens gathered in dew. My son knows his father to be just the sort of simple man who, like everyone with a palm line open to the alms of dawn, might wonder at want and worth." And this political climate knocks all of the edges and all of the complexities off of very complex backstories We hear words like refugee, we hear words uh, like, uh, you know, to describe people who are on a long road of sorrow, looking for a better life, Um, and I was sitting on a plane on my way to Cuba, and a German woman sat beside me who was in her mid to late 70s, and my wife was sleeping, and this woman told me the story that's in this poem uh, and i say what is the backstory of all those people who are fleeing a world that is worse than the privileged world that we're lucky enough to be born into the ungoable it was the opposite of falling Seeing her mother waving from the shore as she and her sister stood at the railing of the ship, leaving Europe after the war. Her mother dimming to a sorrowful deflation, a reified vanishment of love breaking the heart the way the crag of a cove breaks a wave at the thin edge of the sea. One high, sharp, exhilarating shattered glass moment of roaring and sumping the rock hollows to feel the unswallowable, unswallowable grief. The herniated ache at the hiatus of an inhaled sob. Surely only a child can hurt that way. Yet I see in the telling how this lovely woman relives the deep throb of loss revivified for the Fräulein she was, born in Berlin before the conflagration of the city, with its fire dead immolated in the burning strassus the Fuhrer sneering through flame flowers rising from the red garlands of his bones, the swastika blasted by sappers crashing to the earth, lightning in the high branches and the eagle kinder of the phoenix with no future. She mentions a certain officer of the conquering Soviet, lusting after her mother, who was beautiful. And when her mother refused his unwanted advances, he lined up her five children, placed a loaded pistol to each of their temples, touching the muzzle to the pulse point of each young mind, that black zero's cold metallic kiss, and then firing a single shot in the air at the end so she knew the inescapable consequence of a mother's refusal. And the same dignified and much-loved mother, violated by the cruelty of a choice that is no choice, stood on the pier at the shore of the harbor, waving her hand like the last glimpse of the desperate drowned. Those who are helpless in history because they know the needle of some inner compass, the ungoable direction of hope. And I would like to finish with a love poem. I've always, my, my wife and I were 19 when we met, and each of us had a back story. She was a city girl. I was a country boy. I grew up in a farm. She grew up in, a, in, a, in, in the heart of, the wor- of working class London, Ontario. And this poem imagines what would have happened to that love that was born in, when we were 19, when we were adolescents. What would have happened if we had met as children when we were quite young? It's called Were I. And I'll finish with this and then introduce you to the three uh, poets that you will meet today. Were I to meet you in your plastic shoes and me in my cowboy boots when we were both small in the rain lost among all that it meant to be casting short shadows with new minds, when our mothers were young and our fathers were shaving their dreams in the soap scent of long morning, rinsing their razors in time before time. Would we have loved the other, me and my worn down heels, the sugarfoot lad, and you, the princess with painted toes shining up from the floor like chips of broken glass oh we were playing at promise I in my cock horse on my cock horse in the orchard on the farm my hat a ten gallon green and you in your pinafore undressing and dressing your dolls like the come and go of the sea to the darkening stone that lies high on the shale of the shore. When you were a girl, your umbilical beauty, ultra-white tummy, with a feminine lip and line, and rim like a green pomegranate, impossibly perfect with seed, desire abiding in sunlight, mirrors of the ribbon-watered moon, And I, a boy, with my whip-tailed, star-dazzled want, like ghost galaxies, the voluminous smear of the swirling edge of mammalian chaos. What cervical mucus of the spirit? What ovum mystical life? You in the city, and I on the farm. We awaited love's knowledge, unborn. Thank you. And now let's place the focus where it deserves to be on this day Um, ty grove publisher of hidden brook press said to me one day how would you like it if i offered you meaning me the opportunity to create a signature series uh, and you would select people and request manuscripts from them and have an opportunity to publish with hidden brook press uh, a, a signature series called the John B. Lee Signature Series. And what an honor that was. What an opportunity it presented for me. I am privileged and humbled that the poets who have signed the contract with Hidden Brook Press have seen fit to agree to allow me To kind of piggyback them like maybe the name that you might see on the bottom of a starship where somebody made some little nut that helps hold it together. Uh, So, and I'm a little nut that helps hold this together, aren't I? Um, So the three people that uh, are the first three in the series... And I will get to introduce other people in the future because right now I've had nine uh, people uh, that are in the the queue. Um, The first person I want to talk about briefly is uh, Don Gutteridge. Uh, Don Gutteridge is one of the most well respected and well regarded, highly regarded poets writing in Canada today. And I've known him since I was a student in his class. He was a very young man at the time. (laughs) Um, And uh, he was one of the two or three most profoundly influential people in my life of learning. And at the time that I had him as my professor, I quietly was reading all of the books that he had published until then. And that, that would be about seven or eight books, including a novel, Uh, uh, and uh, several books of poems I did not tell him at the time that I was reading him and admiring him I didn't try to get him to sign any of his books because I didn't want to curry favor with him but since then he and I have become friends and that is Don Guthridge, Professor Emeritus at the University of Western Ontario shortlisted for the Governor General's Award author of the novel Summer Idol and he will be reading first. I'm going to introduce all three before I call Don up. He will be reading first from the first in the signature series, Home Ground, uh, which is this beautiful uh, book produced by Hiddenbrook Press. The second person who will be reading is John DeLeonardo. And John and I knew one another through correspondence before we met. Um, and uh, John was a teacher, I believe, of visual arts and first came to the world of, the, of arts through being a well-established and highly regarded visual artist. Um, and over time, uh, John was sending me poems and I was responding to his poems and he was working on an ekphrastic series Um, which means series of poems inspired by works of art and when it came time for uh, Ty to invite me to select someone for the series uh, he was one of the first people that came to my mind and uh, this manuscript that he sent me Conditions of Desire is a wonderful book and I recommend it highly to you and Thank you, John, for allowing me to be part of that uh, journey. And thirdly, April Balmer. Years ago, when I was quite a bit younger, April and I shared the stage at the University of Western Ontario, um, where we did a reading together. And Marty Gervais, publisher of Black Moss Press, was looking for someone to uh, fit into a slot And I said to him, I was so taken by April's work, that I said to him, I've met this young woman who is absolutely stunning as a writer. Please, would you consider her? And he did, and he published, I believe, her first uh, full major collection. And over the years, our paths have crossed and crisscrossed more than once, and when April uh, had a manuscript and i was doing the signature series she she was a natural uh, selection so thank you for your kind attention i hope i haven't taken 15 minutes to introduce these three people i want to call don gutteridge up my friend mentor major canadian poet don gutteridge up to the stage to take this microphone away from me <laughs>
0: And you just heard uh, John B. Lee in his reading at uh, the inaugural launch uh, for the John B. Lee Signature Series with Imprint, with uh, Hidden Brook Press, and f- followed with the introductions uh, to the three poets in that launch that are coming up next. And so I'm just going to, since they were introduced that way, I'm just going to play the the next three uh tracks here back to back so you're going to hear poetry by don guteridge uh then uh, uh john Di leonardo and then alice bulmer so you're going to hear it the way it was there that day here we go thanks
3: john
4: can you hear me <laughs> I don't have the voice I used to have. Being 81 years old, you you don't have quite the same power you had when you were 51, but I'm gonna try. I'm going to read some uh, poems from home ground eventually, but I'm going to start with a couple of poems from a 1982 collection called God's Geography. The first one, called Soothsaying, has a story behind it. In 1979, I went to Lambton County armed with a tape recorder and a film to prompt elementary school children to write poetry. I uh, I spent the week going to one school in the morning and one in the afternoon. And on the Thursday, I arrived at the school at one o'clock and the principal said, go on up to the room, the teacher will be there shortly. So I went up to the room, set up my film and tape recorder, and I happened to glance down the middle aisle, and sitting at the back, in the back seat, was a white-haired woman. I looked down at her, and I said, hello, Miss McDonald, and she said, hello, Donald. It was my grade three teacher who, to whom I gave my first story. So we corresponded, and I eventually wrote this poem for her, called Soothsaying for Isabella McDonald and me just eight a month out of second grade offering up my first story something in your voice bequeathing trust original plot donald and a fine ending your soothing review i was instantly old the eldest sinned upon me i blush even now to admit that last flurry stolen from the grade three reader my maiden soothsaying a lie you straightened with praise you made a writer out of me I never look back till now, the decades gone, we exchange letters, compliments, your age deepening in you, though the hand is as bright as a new grade three's. The trust is unaffected as when it was given without complicity. You do not say even now what I, too far to turn back, can guess. You knew the ending to every point and plot in the grade three reader. <laughs> How long have you watched, bearing such knowledge, withheld full of praise from a dozen hopefuls better than me? It was something between us in the unspokenness of things. Me ate just once, and you fixed a grave tree for thirty years. We have, we have kept, we have kept. Sorry, we have kept silence long enough. Let us think of the years, all the years, bridged with words. My, uh, my father was a star hockey player for the village of Point Edward, and uh, he, uh, Jack Adams, the manager of Detroit Red Wings, invited him to a tryout camp in September of 1939. The next day, he joined the Air Force, and we didn't see him for five and a half years. Unfortunately, what he learned in the Air Force was to drink, and that was his downfall. This poem is from my father called Swallowing Pride. The paper said they couldn't build a rink big enough to swallow his pride my dad on skates and over ice that was ground, a gravity giving speed, a moving not of one's own, but a boy on blades making wings out of legs, arms, the heart swelling through every muscle, drew order out of energy, designed from the chaos of the game. With a stick held like a brand, he burned the puck beyond the net, the circling boards, the crowd's containment, beyond the perfection of applause. He soared on wings, the ice gave only to the young and once. Icarus on blades, the world his rank. My dad now in this sleazy room, chest swollen with a serotic liver, hands that held the hockey stick like a brand, cling to a shaking cigarette, fumble with the yellow news clippings he's dragged through God knows how many binges, withdrawals, beverage room boastings, talking to me, about the kid he claims was him in these nicotine photos with the queer dates on them. Tells me he's going to die in three months and how great it's going to be when the observer rates up his obituary, three columns, picture freshly engraved, and all the old timers who weren't killed off in the war or didn't die of puffed livers, who bear his coffin through the polite applause, those who remember however dim the young Icarus Who bursts burned ice with its flaming blades, his wings of unending muscle? Sits there and grins at me with nicotine teeth, sits there and pretends to swallow the pride he hasn't had since they finally built a rank big enough. Mm Now I'm going to read a few short poems from home ground. Most of my poems in the last 10 years have only been 12 to 16 lines long, so they'll go by very quickly. Most of them are set in the village of Point Edward and are about my childhood. And I'm going to read a few of these to start. Ballast. I was born in Sarnia, alas, but was soon, sorry. I was born in Sarnia at last, but was soon rooted fast in the groomed ground of the point, safe in the grasp of grandfather's lawn, as green as grass rinsed by rain. I knew every eve and l, every sill and gable, and I roamed the alleys and byways in search of the one I ought to be, Seeing with my enviable eye the river flats where our kites flew like swift sweeping swallows, the river throbbing like a struck vein, the lake as blue as a blue jay's bobbing wing, Canaterra where the sand rang, sang in the sun and thunder rang over the dune-dense immensity, the elm shade as big as a behemoth's belly full of umbrellas, And the pine cones we flung like gratuitous grenades in our joy at being here, at knowing this place lay deep in the ballast of our bones. My best friend was Dave Withers, but we all called him Wiz because he could do anything with his hands and build anything and I went uh, to the uh, obits of the Sarnia Observer a couple of years ago out of curiosity to see if uh, he was still alive, and he had died in his 50s, unfortunately. So I wrote this poem for him, for Wiz Withers in memoriam. If the good die young, you were its poster child, mowed down in your prime, and you my boyhood chum whom we dubbed Wiz was our, were our guide and idol, whose hands badgered out of thin air, gadgets and gizmos of every ilk, and wood worked as soothing as silk. You kept us amused, and we boasted of just knowing you, and I wished you a long and beguiling life, humming with joy and the fruits of your wide and wild imagination. also written poems about the loss of innocence all my life and in particular the original fall in the Garden of Eden this one is called prayer if I should die before I wake I pray the Lord my soul to take was my nightly prayer when I still believed when heaven still had heft and God did not deceive in one of his many disguises But when I am gone, I will be remembered in the loving eyes of my children and grandchildren. And when they too have passed and what is left of the measure of their memory, perhaps I'll still have a word or two to say in the pith of a poem or the the startle of a story, as long as there are ravenous readers to reassure them. Perhaps the world will not forsake me after all, if I should die before I wake. Mm And finally, I've written a number of uh, poems after the passing of many of my friends, which when you're 81, as I am, uh, happens all too frequently. And one of my best friends, whose great uh, loves in life were horses and sailing. And this is a poem called Exuberance for Bruce Ashdown in memoriam. Everything you did was outsize. You galvanized gumption. You put the imp in impish. You spun yarns about the track and all its magical mystique with a trif- trifling raconteur, welcomed with a nod and a wink. You could scan a racing form like a blind man brushing braille. You struck a racket ball as if it were Hitler's head. Your golf swing was a whiff and two slashes. You mentioned your skiff, you, you managed your skiff with Sail set as close to the wind as audacity allows, your hand on the tiller as supple as a lover's touch. You had a heart as big as a thoroughbreds, the bloodlines you admired more than the life you lived with such exude and dude exuberance. Thank you.
5: Thank yous, uh, I guess, before I begin. First of all, uh, friends and family, some have come as far as uh, uh, Hamilton and the uh, Brooklyn crowd, of uh, course, you've met. Um, uh, I want to thank uh, John, my longtime mentor. Uh, thank you, John, for pitching uh, the manuscript and for including me in your signature series. It's a real honor. Thank you. Um, and thank you to Ty and Kim for. Enjoying this wonderful event. It's it's wonderful to be here. Um, this book is um, extratext poetry, as John mentioned. It's a poetry based on uh, the visual arts, drawings, uh, uh, paintings, sculpture. Uh, I've even seen some based on film, and um, it's, it has a long, long tradition. And uh, uh, basically, it's the combination, symbiotic relationship of word and image that really uh, strikes me. And it was the impetus uh, for um, the book. Um, I'll begin with uh, a couple of poems that uh, deal with the model and uh, the notion of beauty. And the first poem is called Carmelina, um, based on a uh, painting by uh, Henry Matisse. The Moon pauses at the lemon, layers her pink lips moist, shining. She is beautiful. Saunters in, slow and steady, with the stealthy footsteps, nude, proud and unafraid. Stretches the brink of our stage, with stars awake in her eyes, as myths of knowing and unknowing. So beautiful. She leaves the drawing class a side glance over her shoulder with a sway of sultry red dress, rephrases the air as we pack up, stare, kneel, stand, vulnerable. Uh, Next poem was inspired by a painting by Gustav uh, Klimt, 1903. A Nameless Beauty. At the end of a row of tall windows across the art college, a new model poses in third trimester. All afternoon, she would see me sketching, sighting from my window ledge over a splash of September maples, green eyes pulling me with each slow rotation of her gesture, cradling a white crescent belly. Years later, I don't know the names, neither the unborn child almost grown, nor the motherhood poses she held. All I recall is a gaze leaping into our intimate leafy fall, her complexion glowing in my sleeplessness. two poems uh, deal with uh, love and trains. And when I first got the book, I went through it, checking for typos, as poets will do. And uh, it sort of surprised me to note that i wrote written quite a few poems about trains. I sort of was puzzled. And then I thought about it, of course. Uh, my formative years, I grew up in, in Europe, and uh, all transportation was done by trains. And I guess it stuck. Um, first poem is, um, Sackville Station, inspired by a painting by Alex Colbell, Soldier and a Girl at the Station, 1953. Night, he hops off the train, the Arab loss and gusts of steam, engine swirl. The girl on the platform in white dress is his. Her smile clasps his neck, the two-year-long Kentville kiss, sighs of night air or his. It's still night, and my wound, reflected by my letter and glass edges, awaits her smile, waiting at Sackville Station. Um, The next two poems uh, deal with mother's love. Um, This poem, Mother's Day in Marble City was inspired by uh, a tomb sculpture that the poet, British poet uh, W.S. Lander um, commissioned uh, for his mother. Um, She had lost her husband and and, uh, a son within a year's period. And uh, the sculpture and tomb is in the English Cemetery in Florence. Mother's Day in Marble City. How can she sing with veiled feet? Two gold bands on her chain, grass hard with chill. Under the cypress bough, meadows offering memories, unplucked as lyres hang, silently swaying in the marble city, while birds close for the evening in the far off burning skies. Um, this next poem was inspired by a black and white photograph, which a cousin to, uh, cousin uh, sent me. It went viral in Italy, and it's a photo, black and white photo of uh, war torn Italy. I guess it was it's anonymous, shot between 1935 to 45, and uh, it shows a mother uh, walking barefoot on rubble with her young daughter in a white uh, communion dress. As the steeples slept, Mama chose not to buy shoes, walks on stones to bless her little girl. From the shadows, my sister smiled perfect, a white First Communion. Unaware, Mama's dignity, comfort at being mortal, barefoot, holds Christ's little bride. Here's later, back a black and white photograph where the mind wavers, waking alone in the dark, shuddering, have I loved, have I loved, have I loved enough? Uh, The next two poems uh, deal with love uh, gone wrong. Um, Anniversary Dinner, this was inspired by a painting by John Sargent's painting, uh, Dinner table at night, 1884. Anniversary dinner. You could tell they were married, sonnets between them heavy, like a coffin lowered nightly. He sliced blue rare steak with bobs and weaves catapulting oxblood red on the tongue. The wife raked salad, julienned dark leafy china, stabbing edges, organizing greens on the familiar sigh of candlelight, assembling an exacting order of a once sunny home, as though she could harvest forgotten tenderness, chewable words to ward off the hurl of fate, the blur of blue, the black embrace, loneliness, that ushered them here to celebrate. And uh, the last pair is about love, uh, near and far. first poem is um, called Tangoing, And it was inspired by uh, Colombian artist uh, Fernando Botero, Dancing couple, 1982. I wonder how it would feel dancing with you when moonlight blushes off the day and we dance, a smooth voluptuous dream. Scarcely feel the floor with long steps gliding, spasmodic poses. Take my touch-starved hand. Let me lead, cheek to cheek, our spell of swing, this tangled light, auburn ringlets of fanning hair, pepper reds that burn your dress, curvaceous thighs that skiff each footfall flit. Should you smile with every breathy breathy pause, I will inhale such pirouettes of scented hair, our shadow swirl of daily cares, to measure time and scattered looms, your moonlit eyes entranced, as each rose and bud awaits it an autumn rain. And the last poem is uh, the title poem of the book, Conditions of Desire, uh, inspired by a few things. Uh, it began with uh, Vermeer's uh, painting of a woman reading, and then uh, Alex Colville's uh, painting refrigerator. And also by personal experiences, uh, such as when your spouse leaves, for four or five days, and you have the house all to yourself, and you're in in heaven. You raid the fridge at midnight and dance in the kitchen. A couple of days later, you're you're, you're noting the silence in the room, and by the fourth day, uh, you miss them.
3: (laughs) (laughs) missions of desire.
5: When you are gone, I pace kitchen tiles roam living room walls, hunger for the stars in your eyes, nimble soft pity in the blue flicker of a fridge door. Among cold things, I whisper your name in the sweetness of morning jams, evening fruits, and the Atlantic that draws me towards you. When you are away, I stalk the cell under cuticle moons until its notes ring me a moonlight sonata. I sleepwalk horizons. Tip to a collage of love's smallest details, your sunny whispers between parting lips, the twist of wind blonde hair, and my breath a little shy from the depth of your eyes, the delicious tones of a moaning kiss. When you're not here, my pulse stumbles on bleached moonlight, stands thresholds in a dead man's embrace, listens to dogs bark at my shadow, and Sirius my favorite star. When you're gone, I puzzle how to say, I miss you, love you, like a poem in a shoebox, loving against its will. In your absence, let me be your sweetheart, moonflower, the white butterfly in your infinite sleep, the rainbow dreaming our night song, east to west, my love. Thank you for listening.
6: Thank you for coming. Before I begin I'd like to thank Ty and Kim Grove at Hindenbrook Press and of course John B. Lee for accepting me into the John B. Lee Signature Series. I'd also like to thank the Ontario Arts Council and Arts Connect Cambridge for their generous funding. So my new book is called Out of Darkness Light which was the motto of St. Lucie patron saint of the blind. It tells of a group of fictional women I call the Congregation of Women, who worship by the Grand River in Cambridge, where I live. They appeal to a variety of deities and often seek the power of light in their lives. They pray for love, children, health, and spiritual blessing. And in doing so, they battle the forces of darkness with the power of light. So the first poem I'll read is the first poem in the book. Each poem is written from a member of the congregation of women. And this poem tells of Mother Scarlet, who is a kind of high priestess in the group. And it's written from the perspective of Andrea. She is woman, the curve of light, and heart a red fruit. Girdle of bone, a sash like a serpent. Her cassock, its cowl, beneath she is nude. She blesses the altar a bowl of apples and a jug of water. We take from her hands Mother Scarlet her fruit and its blood. <coughs> I used to live in the country and I had a pond full of snapping turtles so sometimes I write about turtles. This is Avery. It is close with heat. My sisters and I dip our feet, our shoes like turtles on the bank. I pull myself through the river, the hem of my skirt damp. I rest then with the women on the shore. The rains come, soft mud, our footprints and our prayers washed into the current like clippings, that new moon we cut our hair. This is a love poem, it's called Jillian. Once I loved a boy, his eyes the shade of copper coins. He would not dance with me. I held myself like a shawl and wore soft pads against my loins. My heart burned for him like a candle, the wick sturdy and trimmed. For I imagined his breath and the soft cream of my tallow. This next poem came out of a writing exercise at the Cambridge Writers Collective, a group I belonged to for about 20 years. It's just a little poem, it's called Opal. My heart, it's rusty lock. You bear the skeleton key. It opens, the face of our child tattooed there. Her eyes, dark moons, her mouth, a scar. Her heart, perhaps, light than flower brief than broken in an early hour. I tend to celebrate the solstices with some spiritual friends in Cambridge, and this one mentions the winter solstice. It's called Chris. The scent of oranges at winter solstice, Johnny's heart in its tough skin, all night his seed, his fruit. In the morning a winter moon fades in the cold. The liturgy of the body. Johnny and I balanced on our knees, sighing, Amen. Sweet juice on our tongues. This is another winter poem. It's named for a waitress I knew. It's called Sugar. We gather by the river, there is a wind. The Holy Spirit shivers. I pray for sea. He dwells in the next county. I imagine his truck, it moves through snow like a tired bison. The congregation of women, our hymn, a leaf. How it turns in the cold, I sing for C. We fall to our knees, a flock of damp wool. We gather our shawls. we are women of the call. Another little turtle poem. Greer, a tortoise on the bank of the river, Mother Scarlet lays hands on her shell, the great potter's bowl, I bless and anoint it with oil. This poem explores the idea of soulmates, Margie. Lover cradles me in the boughs of his arms. My heart is a bud, then a leaf, its veins and its blood. We are old souls, the rings of time, the design of a god and the freedom of seed and shadow, light and sun. Lover and I in an earlier life, our dirty feet rooted in earth, our spines and their sap. We reached like spires, how we weathered the day's baptism of rain, though we bowed then in a gentle wind beneath the moon, altar of night. This poem was written for a colleague who lost his mother. It's called Clara. Your mother has passed. She sleeps now beneath the moons of Saturn, her breath ragged and her face a torn bloom. Death has lined her palms etched like runes. We gather in the chapel and fall to our knees. Flowers die slowly as we sing and silently breathe. Soon she will visit you, perhaps in the dim, balanced on canes, bloody gauze on her chin. Hold her then, for soon she will rise. Heal with the goddess, God's nurse of the skies. And this last poem is called June, which is my mother's name. And it's based on some old notes I found in a cupboard about um, Roman goddesses. June The sun, a golden coin, as it was in Rome, when the goddess, her hair, its sweet-smelling perfume. Her garment of flax, hobnail shoes, she dusted her eyelids with saffron, with ochre she rouged. We offer her honey cakes, figs, and plums, the seeds of pomegranate and nightingale tongues. Olives and dates, even the memory of slaves, and fish sauce we stir in jars of clay. Um, Out of Darkness Light is $15, and I brought um, an earlier Hinbrook Press book, and With Thy Spirit, which um, investigates the idea of reincarnation, and it's just $5, so. Two books for $20. Think stocking stuffers. (laughs) Thank you for listening.
1: seven minutes to mingle and buy books thank you so much for everybody for coming out it's um, it's wonderful like I've said you know the, the wonderful thing about being a publisher is is just um, being up here in uh, at the mic and um, and seeing a room full of, of poets and poetry lovers it's it's great thanks very much for coming
0: And at the very end, you heard uh, publisher uh, Richard um uh, giving a, a final uh, bit there at the very end. Uh, throughout the hour, though, it started with, uh, and this was a launch recorded in Toronto uh, at the supermarket, a restaurant and bar on October 28th as... Uh, for, uh, it was an inaugural launch for the new uh, imprint, the John B. Lee Signature Series imprint with Hidden Book Hidden Press. And debut launch, launching, and then you first heard John B. Lee's reading and then his introduction to the three poets. And you heard in this order, uh, you heard uh, uh, Don... Don Guteridge uh, reading and launching his book called Home Ground, uh, then uh, John D. Leonardo launching his new one, Conditions of Desire, and then April Bulmer uh, with her new book of poetry called uh, Out of Darkness, Light, and uh, Hope you have enjoyed the first hour of the show today. Hope you can stay tuned to the, for the second. I will let you know that uh, both hours of today's show will be uploaded to my blog space forward shortly after I get home at www. I'm sorry, no www in that. At finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. A few messages here, and I will catch you on the other side. You're listening to Finding a Voice. And welcome to the second hour of today's show. It's just a few seconds after 5 o'clock. You are listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queens University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, and here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online at www.cfrc.ca. And coming up in this second hour, uh, from an October 9th book launch and reading at Novel Idea Bookstore, you'll hear readings by Jason Haru, Neil Sirkan, and Abana Beloved Green. This first, though, uh, the usual hourly announcement, occasionally some poetry, spoken word, or music played on this show may contain strong language, but it's all played in its entirety with content unedited to honor the creative integrity of both the author and the piece. So uh, let's go ahead. I should have, I think I'll have a few minutes at the end of the hour uh, to share a few upcoming events. So let's just jump into it. From an October 9th book launch and reading at Novel Idea Bookstore, uh, you'll hear readings again by Jason Haru, Neil Serkan, and Abina Beloved Green. And up first in it with his reading, here is Jason Haru welcome everybody thanks for coming out on this beautiful early fall day that we had today that felt pretty cool anyway thanks for coming out uh, to this double launch and reading this evening and uh, give yourselves a hand for coming out how's that (laughs) support poetry right (laughs) and poets (laughs) And uh, the other thing I'd like to do is thank uh, Oscar and Joanna and this space uh, for always the beautiful way that they're eager to help support uh, the literary community. i have probably done more for Kingston's literary community than anybody I can think of. Let's give them a hand. Mm-hmm. Well, tonight, reading in this order, you're going to hear uh, Jason Haru uh, reading from, I'm guessing, my maybe new work or at least yes, some... yes. yes, very cool. New-ish. And following him, uh, Neil Serkan. Am I saying that right? sweet. And then we'll conclude with Ab and a beloved uh, Green, both of them launching their books. But I will introduce first. Jason Harua is the author of four uh, four poetry collections, Memoirs of an Alias, Emergency Hallelujah, Natural Capital, and Hard Work uh, Cheering Up Sad Machines. His most recent book is a novel called Amusement Park of Constant Sorrow, published by Mansfield Press this year. He lives with his wife, Sohir, and their three cats, Akira, Pablo, and Neruda. (laughs) From Kingston, here is Jason Haru.
7: Thank you. Thank you, Bruce, and thank you, everyone, for being here um, tonight. Um, It's a pleasure to be reading with Neil and Abenya. I'm going to start with a poem called A Page from the Book of Bewilderment. In the end, the crumb and the ant will become best friends. And the spoon will return every sip of soup it stole from the bowl. The earthworm will meet the bird halfway. A kernel of corn will remember its boiled cob. But the walnut will never return to its shell. The hook will never get along with the fish. Even though they have nothing against each other, our mistakes and our erasers will fight to the death. This poem is called, In the Only World I Ever Lived In. In the only world I ever lived in, I learned a horse's skeleton has one less bone than a human skeleton, and an ounce of pain on earth weighs the same as an ounce of earth. I saw someone's chimney smoke rise like the gray spirit of a dead shoelace. Some of what I did, I wanted to do. Some of what I said, I meant. My own beaten heart knew happiness like the back of its hand. But what I truly miss most is seeing the crowded city buses drifting like clouds, carrying human rain, human snow. The next poem is called Little Leader, and I'd like to apologize because every time I read this poem, it reminds me of Donald Trump, even though it's not really about Donald Trump. So I'm sorry if you... Spend your day not thinking of him, and then this poem reminds you of him. (laughs) Especially after I've gone on about him so much. Little leader. You have to play, our little leader said, if you want to be a kid. So that's what we did. He hid a warm bottle of candy water in the car from which we sipped. And the next day, our leader hit his hammer with a head. Again, and again, and again. Because, he said, it was one of the many rules in the bedtime book from which we read. This poem is called Leaf. When I thought I knew myself I was wrong and when I had no idea who I was I was also wrong. If I say this is a new day it isn't and if I believe this day is done it's not and yet I've never been as happy as I am shaking like a leaf in love with the wind, realizing how weak and desolate I have to be simply to be myself, and how strong, how fortunate. So it's great to be here with Neil and Abenya. They're both launching books tonight. I felt a bit bad because I didn't have a book to launch, so I wrote a book for tonight. It's a secret little book no one knows about, and that's actually what it's called, secret little book no one knows about. It's just 11 fragments. I'll just go through them here. (laughs) Last night, a deep fried chicken wing dreamt it was still alive and cried. Life soldiers on. Someone said, even dead leaves look and sound leaf-like if there's enough wind. Birds are buckets of song raised from a well. The moon is a bucket of light. Pet speck of dust, where's your leash? Let's go for a walk. This day is like every other day, except it's alone in the world, and there's a stone lying awake in the field, afraid it'll never get a chance to die. Outside, on an autumn evening, sitting near an empty cobweb that has lost its mind, the wind arrives with nothing to say, but still wants to be heard. Our grass blades graduate from Earth's university. Good night graveyard, sweet dream. Bread crumb on the counter, you still have your whole life ahead of you. Evening will be here soon, because the day has no choice but to give up. A fallen leaf is a canoe portaged by the wind. World, take us with you. We live in such dark times, especially at night, And we think the universe is something we need, but really, it's just a place where we keep our stuff. August afternoon, too early to end, the wind bosses itself around. The rules don't apply to the rules. And the flies tucked in the cobweb aren't yet ready for bed. Why is yesterday always ahead of us? Why do we always leave tomorrow behind? The sun has no legs. Each day is a crutch, helping us stumble home. Light drips from the sun, leaves lower their green head, sipping from a trickling stream of wind. When a stone stops working, who changes its battery? And the last little fragment. I remember a grey rabbit, paws in the grass, a puff of smoke searching for its fire. Someone confessed, and watching the heavy rain play hide-and-seek with the lake. Thank you, everyone. Thank you. you.
0: That was Jason Haru. Let's give him another hand. And that was Jason Haru uh, in his... uh, well, I guess I should just say he was reading new and selected work at uh, the October 9th Book Launch and Reading event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. Up next in it, here is Neil Sirkan. Neil Serkin's uh, debut poetry collection, On High, was published by McGill Queen's University Press. His chapbook, Supernatural, was published by Anstruther Press. His poems and reviews have appeared in numerous Canadian magazines, including The Fiddlehead, Prism International, Prairie Fire, Grain, The Antigonish Review, Event, Carousel, Canadian Literature, and The Literary Review of Canada. He is currently pursuing a PhD in English at the University of Calgary. Let's bring up Neil Sirkan.
8: thanks uh, for having me. This is my first time in Kingston. Um, you have a church that w- has been turned into a crossFit gym
3: <laughs> <laughs> did you,
8: did you did you have you seen it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's like kind of what I'm researching <laughs> in my PhD for real. This is fertile ground yeah um, yeah the best part of like reaching out the best part of like doing these readings and this launch kind of tour has been like reaching out to folks and listening to other folks read so um it's so always I'm like this is my kinda like blind dive night where I just get to meet some new folks and so far it's been like really exciting and I can't wait to hear you later. Right so um uh, because this book was published with a mostly scholarly press, uh it meant that the epigraphs that I had put at the beginning of a lot of the poems had to be um had like had to pass the copyright test, mm-hmm. and so I had to like get permission for all of my epigraphs, and that was a lot of work. And also, you have to pay money for the epigraphs a lot of the time. So I like if I wanted to have Paul Muldoon's quote at the beginning of a poem, it would cost like 120 bucks or something like that. So I cut all the epigraphs out, but there was one um, that I really wanted to have, and it was from my favorite rock star, <laughs> and his name is Phil Elverum. He's from The Microphones and Mount Erie. He's kind of like, you know, marginal pop rock star figure. But he also just married Michelle Williams, who, like, has won Oscars. So he's, like, suddenly famous. And I was sure he wouldn't reply, because what I wanted was to print one of his tweets. <laughs> but he said yes. So I always start my readings with uh, with his tweet. Because the tweet is such, like, a flippant, dangerous tool, especially right now. But at the same time, like, this one is... I, th- I don't know, I think it's pretty good, <laughs> in terms, at a uh, spiritual register anyway. None of my songs are about sadness or isolation. Emptiness is about the actual heart of things, lovingly. Solitude is for discovery. On High There was busy air there, air seething through the leaves, so from farther up the tree line shone like a single scintillating polyhedron still, though ravens and wrens flaked off the top, the woods held, solid as a mall or a rally, or a lake. Really anything at all, when seen from a ways. But we'd waded through those branches, scraped on brambles, toed stumps, seen rot and bits of bone and a blue broken egg. So while we squatted on a scaly boulder, and a jet stream's cremains cleaved the sky in two, I saw him also smattered shards. Steady from afar, some parts me, and some parts room. This poem is called Bleed, and it's about loop pedals for the most part. (laughs) Bleed. Cables autograph the stage. You are trying to layer your voice with loop pedals. But the microphone catches the crowd, too so the same cough hacks through every four bars. (laughs) And a glass got in, plinking the lip of another glass. A stiletto's talk shot off the floor. A distant orgasm snuck from the bathroom. (laughs) All songs have skin. All skin has holes. Think of it as collaboration. Your track's a wall of open doors. Um, This poem is, like, set in Vancouver, B.C., but... Um, I don't know. For like in our current moment, I feel like it could kind of be anywhere. So this is called the branch breaker. A southern current worried the ragged leaves of an eggplant patch on Rose Street. Womb-shaped fruits with pig iron skin, quivering on thick whiskered vines. Some had dense and growler brown scabs, as if the gardener gives occasional prods or burns from his cigarette. You winced when I said so, tugged me along. He's just clumsy with his spade. We turned on Napier, smack into the future. Fourteen boys, loping shoulder to shoulder, discussing Angela, who's thirsty. Lucky for her, they all would. (laughs) One finger to Magnolia, snapped its branch, welted a belly, halved the switch. I caught your gaze, expectant, collusive but felt too disheartened to quip about their sensual friendship. Plus, who knows, maybe it's a cover and the four cuddle in their parents' basements. Maybe Angela doesn't even exist, but if she does, I hope she's okay. Regardless, it's futile to raise sour ironies while a like-minded studio audience claps. Sarcasm won't dissolve our enemies. May the look I gave the branch breaker Mostly hatred, grow every day a little more compassion. Tonight, I'll raise a growler to Angela, to skin that breaks but persists, and to goodness, the kind that's wordless. Um, This poem is called The Humans. Of course, we started with too small a cage. They refused, picked at themselves, lolled in corners just out of view, not engaging, too familiar. Then an an intern suggested we put out paints. Though crude, their canvases piqued a few visitors, so we auctioned, afforded a new enclosure with breeding rooms, force-feeding tubes, punishment cells, and other species to tease and kill. We'd leave out nails, paper clips, twine, watch them fumble out clotheslines and earrings. They seem to have a sense of time, since they hate waiting," someone remarked, inspiring our breakthrough. We introduced language. Simple phrases grew into a network, a network and pretty soon we didn't need bars and glass. They kept themselves contained in an enjammed stanza, babbled an imagined landscape. Take this octopus. Say we put it in a tub. They've no recognition. The suction cups just taste amazing. And trees, it's brutal. I always look away. The categories they believe in are crazy. The box office has never been busier. Come watch them dispose of an old one's body. But hurry if you want a seat. You'll love the tears and flowers, the singing, the flames. Mm. Um, This poem is called Low Tidings. Low Tidings. Like little shreds of doubt, crests have scooped the cliffside out. When my pockets gnash their mouths, I stuff them full of shells. Flat as a Bible, the bay lurks. Diaphanous bags and faded wrappers pulse just under its surface. Oiled and burnt, bathers ooze into the beach, splattered with muck and bits of trees. A kid with a twizzler between his teeth cracks a crab's carapace with a bottle. Come, Hulk, a gym pro roars, and a ribbon of kelp trails after a dog. Pitbull boxer cross, head the shape of a kettle gourd. He stumbles over sea logs, peeled then hurled into place with force, knuckled on the sand beyond the tide's grooves. There are no parables here. The sun's dull in the water, like a half-born child. Um, When I was working on this manuscript, I gave it to my uh, father-in-law. Uh, because he's really into reading, like, Christian mystics So I was like, maybe, maybe, you'd, maybe you'd like Some of this thing And I didn't realize that he would, like, read it Autobiographically <laughs> uh, And I think that it will be beca- I hope that it becomes apparent why that would Cause me, like, a lot of anxiety um, After this poem um, And this poem takes its title from um, A poem by one of my favorite Poets, Wendy Shu, And uh, her collection is called You Are Not Dead And, uh The line is, here comes some beauty. Here comes some beauty. With unbuttonings and unsatisfactory fits, the Eaton Center quops like a shell on an ear, which is not to say the sea. Rather, it's blood squeezing in thousands of shoppers buying all the things they need to hide themselves from themselves. Around a fountain far underground, three generations stretch pretzels with their mouths, then take a break to watch the looped water shoot from a pump in a basin. The child flicks a penny through some foam and wishes no one he knows will ever die. Mm -hmm. Turning to smile, he slips and grooves his forehead on the tiles. Aphrodite vaulted from some spoon, her humid locks all fierce and wild. It comes from the heart, this spreading pool that's shaking up the food court, just down the hall from the makeup store, one floor below the cell phone shop, where I'm taking pics of my junk on the new Samsung hung from a cable lock. And yeah, he was like, You uh like Samsung. I <laughs> was like, oh shit. <laughs> um and just in contrast, this poem is autobiographical.
3: <laughs>
8: no charge. When I was a preteen rock collector, the owner of serious science and nature, middle-aged subpro yo-yoer, gave me arsenic, four lumps nestled in a square of creased crepe paper. Don't lick your hands, he said. No charge. My buddy's got loads of this shit. The arsenic was shiny, soft, and thick, like black sesame (laughs) gelato. Soon, the scrunched wrapper shimmered. I realized he hoped I'd think he was cool. Deeply flattered, I instantly did. But now I wonder why he cared. How many friends should a grown man have whom he has to remind not to lick their hands? Um, when I was doing my uh, masters at U of T I would work in the summers as a fine gardener um, in Forest Hill which is you know like the mansion land of Toronto and just like dig around in the dirt all day and it wasn't until one of the guys I worked with asked me where I'm from which is like uh, the Okanagan Valley in British Columbia um, that I realized that that place is considered like a very conservative Bible belt (laughs) he was like oh yeah you're from the Bible belt like I used to always go there to pray. I was like, "Whoa, that explains so much." <laughs> but, yeah. So um, this lo- there's a long poem at the end of the collection called Verges Now and Forever." Um, I'm just going to read you one part of it, uh, but it kind of is trying to dig in a little bit to um, that kind of cons- that social conservatism and also the way that that becomes like really generative for like shame, I think, in particular. So this is part four. When Penticton installed its first roundabout, council declared the lawn in the centre a space for public art to be viewed at close range from a moving car. The inaugural sculpture, The Baggage Handler, starred an elderly nude gazing skyward, surrounded by luggage. But blunt symbolism, even for 30 clicks per hour, got usurped by letters to the editor fascinated by the penis, a dollop of yogurt-coloured plaster first hacked off, then spray-painted green, finally hidden by a hinged metal flap that creaked when storms blew off the water. Frank, the figure, also got cracked with a crude object across his ankles and on the back of his skull, no doubt for standing, shameless, in front of his maker. Sure, kids stumbling home from the parrot were probably to blame, but everyone imagined the Pentecostals were a vigilante sect of shriners, snuffing on black leather gloves, clinking a chisel in a tote, shuffling under the new moon's cover, the latest they'd been up in years. That theory, so typical, gained this city instant renown for its prudery. By the time the real vandal awoke, wretched, winced at a pang in his hip, dug around, pulled a cock stump from his pocket. The rowdiest art debate ever to hit the South Okanagan had jolted alive. Factions clumped together like hives. Hellfire versus embarrassment. Um, This this book has, like, no love poems in it. (laughs) But there is, like, one argument poem that I like to think of as a love poem. Um... Yeah, because, you know, when you fight (laughs) Then it's that moment of being like You gonna stay? (laughs) Yeah Never Changes to Stop Oh, and the title is from uh, One of my favorite albums by this band Called The Books Which is fitting, I guess, for a book Anyway, Never Changes to Stop The morning started very orange The mountains clenched black And singular and hard Against the sky With rain they softened to a blotched gray, swallowing swallows when they flew across, the way the lake accepted falling drops or my look dissolved what you were about to say. Yellow moss at the corner of the lawn mottles then glows spongy green with little beads embossed on top. The longer I stare, the more it shines. I see now how earnest you were and kind. Um, so this is the uh, one more poem, and uh, but before that, like, yeah, again, I could not broken record it enough in saying that like the biggest honor of like getting to put this thing out <laughs> as like a thing in the world is to like yeah these like interesting new moments to to listen before reading um, and after reading and just to like really yeah pay attention to like other folks who are doing stuff. So thanks again, Jason. Thanks, Evan. I can't wait to hear you. So. Thanks to both of you. Um, thanks, Bruce Kaufman. Where are you? Where did you go? There you are. You folks are lucky to have Bruce oh, in this city, I think, together. right? Yeah? <laughs> thanks so much. Yeah. Um, your, yeah, dedication is like a true gift. Yeah, it's really cool. So thank you. Um, thanks to Novel Idea, I've, like, what a great store. And, uh, you got, like, folks have some, like, really cool tiny one-off books that I really love. Um, so I can't wait to do some like shopping around, too. Yeah. And also, like thanks to all of you folks. Um, nice to meet you. Weird way to do it, right? <laughs> right there you go. Um, this is another poem called On High. The rocky mountains thrash like a bathtub full of marlins. That's what I was thinking when the plane shuddered, racked with grief. Or was it me? Now we're cruising over the evenly wooded foothills of Calgary. A lone cabin leaks a mustard oval of light on a square bald, sawed-open lot. I can't see a road. The clouds are a little teal, but mostly gray. As we lift into them, it passes away, the world. Not really. The rocky mountains remain. A man in the cabin coils a cord into a a snare. Tomorrow he'll dangle it off a branch. The day after a lynx, frozen solid, might tilt strangled at the end of the line, its fur worth ten flats of perrier, a little bronze but mostly gray. Soon the plane will snarl to earth, I'll hunch toward another road. Till then I'll pick this Gordian knot and window shop for windows. Cheers, thanks for listening.
0: That was Neil Sirkan. Let's give him another hand. And that was Neil Sirkan at uh, and his reading and from uh, while he was launching his new book on high. And that was in an October ninth book launch and reading event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. Up next in it and the final poet that evening. Here is Abena, beloved Green. Up next, Abena, beloved Green, uh, uses spoken word to create, engage, and elevate her. Uh, and elevate her poems address cultural, social, and environmental issues, relationships, and reflect on everyday life as a small town raised, semi nomadic, first generation Canadian. She was a third place finalist in the 2017 Canadian Individual Poetry Slam versus Festival of Words, and the 2016 Poetry Prize winner of the Writers' Federation of Nova Scotia's Nova Writes competition, uh, formerly called the Atlantic Writing Competition. She competed in the Canadian Festival of Spoken Word in 2011 and 2016 as part of the Halifax Slam team and is launching her first poetry collection, The Way We Hold On. Let's bring up Abana, Beloved Green.
9: Thanks so much, Booth. I'm gonna drink some water because I'm getting over a cold. You're awesome. I want that book. The last one. (laughs) It's mine, okay? (laughs) And Neil, I love that. So, And both of you said all the thank yous, so I'll just repeat them at the end, but I echo your sentiments for Bruce and Novel Idea. And for all of you who came out, I can't wait to meet you, too. It's nice to meet you. So uh, let's get started. This is called Slow and Steady. Every, first of all, pause. Okay, so notice everyone here is very well behaved. <laughs> you know, like just chill, and it makes me a little like uncomfortable because <laughs> I'm like, are they there? Like, and I want to go clap, and then everyone's just like, mm. so. So, um, in the culture of spoken word, it's a very communal activity. So. Um, by that, I mean that if you hear something that speaks to you in any kind of way, you can be like, mm, or, uh, or you can snap. Can you guys just practice snap right now? We actually do that. I know it seems weird, but we actually do just be like, I liked that. So I was trying to snap like quietly in the back there for both of you. Like, oh. there was so much I heard that I liked. Um, that just like lets me feel like I'm not alone. Um, yeah, and just lets you participate as it's happening. And all right, we're going to do it now. (laughs) Everyone praises the cheetah for its incomparable speed, and the gazelle for its elegant swiftness. No one praises the sloth for its mastery of torpidity, for its dedication to living slowly. Human beings love to multitask proud of the ability to split the mind four ways like a ripe avocado. Two mushy slices to answer emails, one slice to run errands, another slice to plan this evening's dinner. Concentration has gone to the compost. Human beings pray for daily bread, then stock up on food for days, consume it quickly with little thanks or appreciation for digestion. But the sloth appreciates its daily leaves taking 30 days to digest one. Talk about slow food movement. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, bears are teddies, rabbits are bunnies, swans are graceful, lions courageous. But to be slothful is to stroke the neck of a deadly sin. Well, I say, the sloth can teach this human how to move slow, how to chew slow. How to groove slow, (laughs) how to listen when listening, eat when eating, open a book, and just read when reading. The sloth can turn its head 270 degrees, but is branded as lazy instead of amazing. (laughs) The sloth is the keeper of the lost art of living in the moment. (laughs) The sloth is unfazed by the propaganda the sloth never lines up for the rat race. (laughs) So the next time someone tells me I'm being slothful, I will say, thank you. (laughs) i try.
3: (laughs) Thank you.
9: Just because they sell it doesn't mean you need to buy it. Just because they do it doesn't mean you need to try it. Just because you put it on doesn't mean it fits. And just because you falter once doesn't mean to quit. Just because you wear nice things doesn't make you nice. And just because it's allowed doesn't make it right. Just because you stand alone doesn't mean you're wrong. You could be surrounded doesn't mean that you belong. Just because they push you doesn't mean that you should bend. Just because you failed doesn't mean that it's the end. Just because I changed my mind doesn't mean I'm lying. And if you choose to walk away, it doesn't mean you weren't trying. Just because they say to clap doesn't mean that I'll applaud. I'm tired of covering up my truth with acceptable facades. Just because you can do it doesn't mean it's wise. Know the rules of the game, don't let it catch you by surprise. Just because it's brand name doesn't mean it flatters. Just because it's published doesn't mean it really matters just because it's not written doesn't mean it didn't happen not all the true inventors are the ones who hold the patents (laughs) just because they wrote the book doesn't mean they own the story History's defaced so some could gobble all the glory they say it's victory doesn't mean it's not mass murder when entire nations are wiped out we have to think a little further they say they'll serve and protect doesn't mean they really will some of those who say this are the ones who shoot to kill Just because he's a star doesn't mean he's a role model. Learn how to decipher between substantive and hollow. Just because they're joking doesn't mean it's all in jest. And just because they get airplay doesn't mean that they're the best. Just because it says fruity doesn't make it real fruit. Whether it's a fruit snack, fruit drink, fruit filling, or fruit loop. And don't even let me get started on the meat. I'm trying to pay attention now to what it is I mean. Just because... She broke your heart doesn't mean to leave it bleeding. Just because he goes to school doesn't mean he's really reading. The body might be gone doesn't mean the spirit's gone away. And just because you're in a situation doesn't mean you need to stay. These are just a few things that I've learned along the way. So I'll leave you with those words. Thank you. Ashe. So, I was going to feel out how much I, myself, I should reveal to you guys. Um, I think we're kind of getting to know each other, all right? I mean, after that Samsung poem, I can say anything. All right, that was an autobiographical. That was just general. Um, Most of these poems are... To myself, or about or or are autobiographical, or about things that I wonder and questions that I might have. So that's kind of where all this comes from. Um, So, we're gonna go back to my hometown for a second. My hometown is actually Antigonish, Nova Scotia. Has anybody heard of that oh, aside from Pam? Yes. Hey, <laughs> H- you have? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> that's where I'm from. Not born, so like, I guess I'm not from there to the locals, right, Pam? I'm not actually from. because I wasn't born there. For like, I'm I'm come from away when I'm there, but like, that's where I spent most of my life. So we'll just we'll just call I call that home. <clears throat> All right. So this is called Schoolyard self-explanatory on the schoolyard we played red rover held hands and called each other over the called ones propelled into interlocked fingers the hand holders tightened their grips but sometimes they let go just as a trick it was dangerous but people can be like this they let go when you expect them to hold you when you are running at them smiling with all of your teeth on the schoolyard one day this boy called me blacky. But like white blood cells detecting an invader in the body, my friends rushed to defend me. Another day, a friend told me that our classmate's mother had a nickname for burnt bread. It contained the N-word. By elementary school, I knew the violence of the slur and wondered why a parent would say this to her kids. That must have been when I learned that not all grown-ups were safe. They could be like children running around with knives, and some could be the blade. I recall another boy calling me violent. He'd hit me with a ball, so I took him by the arm and swung him. (laughs) (laughs) He was a... That's not violent. (laughs) 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 Standing up for yourself. Exactly. Uh, He was the same boy I had overheard telling another that black people say O.J. is innocent, even though everyone knows he's guilty. Watch this, he said, and turned to me, asked me what I thought. Guilty, I said, just to throw him off. (laughs) I had no opinion about OJ's innocence. I was thinking about 10-year-old things like short stories and crushes and recycling. But that must have been what I learned, that for some people, my young classmates even, I was not me. I was one of them. That would have to be clever and still try to blend in. That racism comes in kitty size. I picture swinging that boy like he was a cartoon and I a superheroine. And in junior high, they did call me Hercules. I had (laughs) won an arm wrestle against a boy. It happened once only, but it was enough to earn the compliment. (laughs) It's funny how single incidents lead to nicknames seemingly innocent, but for some people, Nicknames become caricatures, become stereotypes, become rejected applications, become fatal altercations. Well, I'm being dramatic, right? I used to want to be an actress, a child star like Macaulay Culkin. He was home alone when he was 11, so I used to walk home thinking I had one year left to make it big. (laughs) I had a boyfriend for a week. We sat together watching a movie, and that's as far as our courtship went. We were children playing pretend, thinking it was serious. We watched movies like Clueless. We were clueless, as if. But on the schoolyard, we used to climb and flip on the jungle gym as if young gymnasts in training. Like slinkies fresh from the birthday blocks, we expertly dropped from the top of the dome to the gravel below. We lived lungs first, eyes thirsty, ears open back when it didn't cost a thing to play. Back when playing happened outside. No gadgets are us, electronic life. Back when I had upper body strength. Back when it was OK to hold hands with your friends as long as the big kids didn't see. If they did, they would say we were babies. They must have forgotten that holding hands was like keeping warm a string of secrets. It was like cupping magic. It was as simple a sign of friendship. And although we didn't know it, perhaps we were holding on to the last days of our innocence.
3: Thank
9: you. So I don't know if you're like me, but I used to want to take it a small town so I couldn't wait to leave. And then going back there a couple of years ago as an adult, it was like, I'm like, this is really quaint and community and where <laughs> I met Pam. <laughs> in the back and it was just yeah it was nice to be able to go back and see through different eyes and appreciate it for what it is so next we're gonna do the love segment um I want to tell you that I miss you, but it's against the rules. I check in with acquaintances when it's you I want to get reacquainted with. Significant others hold our hands, if not our hearts, so we fling darts from a distance, waiting to hit the target, catch them as they come our way and slip them into our pockets. We can't play this game. Like trains through bedrock rubble, I'm having trouble en route to easy conversation. I want to repeat the words I said back then, tell you they're still true. But saying that would be against the rules and feeling it is too. I needed you to believe in God and pray. You needed me to rely on reason, not faith. Yet we sought each other's company as if the force between us was saying, if there's anything you both can believe in, it's me. Now I wonder if we could have worked regardless, curved our spines like crescents as we lay in the corners of crosses. You were willing to try, but I was afraid to count you among my losses, so I cut them. What's the point in temporary temptations? The touching of tangled theories, the testing of theses amidst the tremors of attraction. It's better not to start what we can't finish, isn't it? You probably don't like this public display of anonymous affection. Mm
3: -hmm.
9: But I'm not sure how to get through these social boundaries or cross these borders of certificates and contracts. I wish it were simple as saying hello, but love denied will demand an explanation. Why do you keep following me, she'll ask. I want another chance, I'll reply, knowing full well that goodbye is all there is room for on this station platform. Being lovers is long a thing of the past. Let's remember we were friends once, and leave it at that. That there is no room to move forward is the saddest issue. If only it were simple as saying hello. But as this train of love that never was pulls away, all I can say is that I miss you. So i will talk to you tomorrow. Good. Yeah. Okay. Ooh, thirsty. I call these my attempt at love poems because I'm not that like <laughs> loving. early
3: I don't know. Like, <coughs> I have to be sappy to be a love poem. <laughs> okay. <good. laughs> so
9: there's season I want. Just ignore that. <laughs> okay, this one is my best attempt though. I have many more questions for you, but our conversations know nothing of brevity. They've disregarded the moon and consumed entire nights. The first time we hung with the constellations, they stayed bright-eyed as long as they could burn, but eventually started blinking in fatigue. Before you and I were close to turning in, the stars turned over to sleep, pulling around them the entire blanket of night. So by the time we tiptoed to bed, there was neither cover nor sheet of darkness left. So we slept with our legs exposed to the edges of sunrise. Mm -hmm. I have many more questions to ask, but our conversations do not respect the body's need to sleep. They are ill-suited for the obligations of this life. The 6 a.m., the breakfast, the ironing, the making of bed. All there is time for is quick morning prayer with head bowed because Lord knows you know better than to stay up till ungodly hours shadowing constellations. You and I both know that this late night courting of chemistry is impractical. It is incompatible with tomorrows. Tomorrow demands its own portion of our time. You and I both know that although these moments are magical, tomorrow is necessary. I have many more questions to ask. But I'll hold the rest behind my teeth. So if I start to speak with a lisp, it's because I'm trying to restrain a river between my lips. All right. And uh, this is called This Life Can Be a Poem. And I feel like that's the stage of life. Like this poem speaks to me really, it's weird. I don't know if this happens to either of you, but like I read it, and I'm like, oh, darn it, like, I wrote this. <laughs> you know, like it's kind of like that voice of wisdom that you, like, Ugh. So <laughs> that's what this poem is, like as I read it. at a couple of, yeah, mostly this one. But um, before I do it, I'll do the final thank you, in case I don't get a chance. Bruce has been amazing. I. We met, I don't, I, I came and like, I don't live in Kingston, I live somewhere else that shall remain unnamed, and so I, um, I would come to Kingston Art Stop and people were like, you should get in touch with Bruce, and like a few people did that, and then I still can't remember how we got in touch though. I
0: think it was Skeleton Park Arts Fest, mm-hmm. wasn't it? Yeah. You stopped by?
9: No, we'll yeah. figure out our story. <laughs> we'll figure out our story later. But Bruce has been amazing, as both of you know. And novel idea is incredible. Bookstores are like my candy stores, and I just like, <laughs> run through and touch the surprises <laughs> like this. So thank you so much for having us. Um, this final poem is called "This Life Can Be a Poem." Our pasts are begging to be pardoned. Our sins are seeking forgiveness. Our memories wish to be redeemed, to stop flinching at their own reflections. Our missteps dream of being glass-spun into lessons, held up to windows, and though stained and broken, still translucent, still worth something. This life can be a poem if you let it. Pick up the shards you'd rather forget. Don't curse your clumsiness for how it shattered. Redeem the pieces, like Kintsugi. The feelings you bury won't go away, so pour them into poetry. Protect your fingers from the fragments as you reach for those jagged recollections. You're lonely, you're sorry, you're somber, you're pathetic. The desperation in you already feels rejected. Broken glass breaks skin, but for its own protection. Beneath the sharp, it too is delicate. This life can be a poem if you learn how to hold it, close enough to feel the heat of the moment, far enough so it doesn't singe. When you've poked holes in your own heart, once, twice, three times, my lady, will you deem yourself worthy of compassion, of holding your own hand and saying, it's okay? Bury your betrayals, lay them to rest, Write eulogies to your regrets. This life can be a poem if you let it. Your strangeness is seeking asylum. Your quirkiness wants to be claimed. Pull them into the family portrait. Give them your last name. Your pain is asking for protection, to be healed with a holy exorcism. Come, fill your fingers with aloe. Lay hands on the parts that hurt. Massage your bruises from their origins. Exhale your aching out of existence. When vices have been vying for your attention, you don't have to follow. You might have to wrestle. There will be some tearing. But the scars will be worth your freedom. These conflicts can be poems if we change how we see them. Come, dip your deceit into honesty. Feel the burning off of burdens. Sentence your somber into stories. And when your sorrows wish to be set free, your past pardoned, your memories redeemed, you can show them all mercy. Thank you so much.
0: And that was and Beloved Green. Let's give her another Woo! hand. And we've heard three great readings tonight. Jason, Neil, Abner, let's give them all another hand. And one more time, novel idea for this beautiful space and uh, their time. You know, heartfelt thanks for all of you for coming out. Uh, I'm sure the authors would like to chat. They've got some books up here. Jason, you've got some up here as well. So there you go. Thank you again for coming out. Have a beautiful night. And you just heard... uh Abena, Beloved Green, uh, launching her new book uh, called The Way We Hold On. Again, that was at the October 9th uh, book launch and reading event held at Novel Idea Bookstore. I think it was October 9th. Sometimes I'd written down October 8th. So anyway, it was there. And let's do this and I'll be right back.
4: If there's a listener supported radio station, it means that people can get daily, every day, a different way of looking at the world. Not just what the corporate media want you to see, but a different picture, a different understanding, a different picture, a different understanding. Not only can you hear it, but you can participate in it. You can add your own thoughts, you know, and you can learn something and so on. Well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way, uh, well, that's the way uh, people become. Uh, human, you know,
3: that's the way you become human participants in a, in a social and political
10: system. Walk Home is one of the services provided to you by the Alma Mater Society at Queen's University. Walk Home is a completely confidential and anonymous service where students will pick you up and walk you to any location within our extensive boundaries. We are located in the Lower Cayley of the John Deutsch University Centre. You can request a walk by dropping by the kiosk or by calling 613-533-9255 during our hours of operation. We are open every night from dusk till 2am, Sunday to Wednesday, or till 3am from Thursday to Saturday. During exam season, we are open until 4am. Last year, we completed over 10,000 walks, walking the equivalent distance of crossing the width of Canada and back. So whether you're feeling unsafe, want someone to walk with after a night at the library, or feel more comfortable walking downtown with someone, call Walk Home. If you have any questions about the service, please feel free to contact us by calling 613-533-9255 or by emailing walkhome at ams.queensbrook.ca.
0: And I'd like to take a couple of minutes, uh, and I do have those this evening, to share some uh, the most pressing, I guess, upcoming events. Uh, But first, uh, just the usual, I'd really like to thank you for tuning in today. Uh, You have been listening to Finding a Voice here on CFRC 101.9 FM. We are located in Lower Carruthers Hall, Queen's University, Kingston, Ontario. My name is Bruce, here every Friday afternoon from 4 to 6 o'clock. We do stream live online as well, www.cfrc.ca, and uh, both hours of today's show will be uploaded with my uh, uploaded to my blog space uh, for it at finding a voice on cfrcfm.wordpress.com. Will remain there for four years and. Uh, want to mention as well, coming up right after this show uh, and a few, well, right after I give these events, I guess, and a few recorded announcements, please do stay tuned for two hours of East Coast music in a show called Saltwater Music, hosted by Rob Carnell. And that's coming up right at the top of the hour. Thanks again for tuning in today. And uh, let's get the list. I will tell you that uh, the tone Def seventeen. <coughs> Excuse me, is finishing up uh, uh, its long run of uh, a number of. Uh, ad- Events, uh, they call themselves also Kingston's Festival of Adventurous Sound Performance. There is one this evening at 8 p.m. at the Agnes Etherington Arts Center, and uh, there are two tomorrow. Uh, one at uh, the Isabel Art and Media Lab at 6 p.m. That is a free event, the one tonight is $10. Uh the one on uh and the later one tomorrow night is uh at the twelve is at the, uh the studio called twelve cat NGB. So check out the website w dot allcapslock dot com slash tone dash deaf dot org. And let's see what else we've got here. There are a number of, I'm just going to give you the website so I can get through as many of these as I can. I will tell you what they are, but just go to uh, uh, Kingston uh, Frontenac Public Library's website, www. Uh, KF pl.ca uh three things going on at the library different branches tomorrow there is the human library from twelve thirty to four thirty. there is the last of the nanaimo uh the national novel writing month and also yeah i believe this one's up in sydenham the last one anyway a uh, uh, fall prevention for older adults uh, it's at various locations uh there are no, those those aren't tomorrow they're coming up this they're coming up this coming week uh, so but really just check out www.kfpl.ca and uh, I've got to move on so anyway thank you for uh, tuning in today do stay tuned for two hours of East Coast music with Rob Carnell
2: this podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.CA in Kingston Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the
8: CFRC Podcast Project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information, or to get involved in podcasting,
0: visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.